The Swan <clears throat> by Rainier Maria Rilke, translated by Robert Bly. This clumsy living that moves lumbering as if in ropes through what is not done reminds us of the awkward way the swan walks. And to die, which is the letting go of the ground we stand on and cling to every day, is like the swan when he nervously lets himself down into the water, which receives him gaily and which flows joyfully under and after him, wave after wave, while the swan, unmoving and marvelously calm, is pleased to be carried each moment more fully grown, more like a king, further and further on. Thanks again, Judy. At the Washington Ethical Society, we say we have faith in human goodness. Our faith is that we believe people can help each other to be better, that people can learn to be better, that we can support structural changes that encourage people to be gather, better, and that actively traveling this path of faith in human goodness can help each of us to be better. Ethical culturists and Unitarian Universalists both say that we emphasize deeds, not creeds. For these words to be true, we know that we have to leave room for growth and to take an active role in that growth. This path requires something from every participant. Wes went to court to prove that ethical culture could count as a religion. And we're classified as a religious group under IRS rules. That being said, there are West members who don't identify as religious people or people of faith and may not agree that they're part of a religious organization. And there are West members who do identify as religious. Something we say that ethical, something we have said is that ethical culture is a religion for people who want it and a philosophy for those who don't. People who don't hold traditional beliefs still need meaning-making, belonging, ethical discernment, and multi-generational community. So as an important voice in the interfaith community, we do need to be able to describe ourselves. And in comparison with our neighbors, this can be difficult because we don't have a central creed as many similar organizations do. The same is true for Unitarian Universalists. Being non-creedal is a different way of thinking about religion than many people are used to. What draws us together are ways of being and doing. There isn't a static, unchangeable definition of who we are. Universalist minister and scholar L.B. Fisher wrote in 1921, Universalists are often asked to tell where they stand. The only true answer to give to this question is that we do not stand at all. We move. Even these many years later, whether or not you count Universalists as philosophical ancestors, the answer resonates. We move. 
The explanation we move is satisfying in a number of ways, but pretty soon we have to ask even more questions. Do we like questions? I think we like questions. Where do we move? How do we move? By what power do we move? We're all in this movement together, and I'm not saying I have any final answers, but let's ask some questions together. So let's start with linear motion, metaphorically speaking. I remember an experience at a Unitarian Universalist training conference years ago that reminded me of this. College students and student group advisors filled the room, perched on the edges of couches and sprawled on the floor, reaching up to cheer and reaching out to encourage. We were playing improvisation games to practice articulating our mission and philosophy for outreach um, activities with campus groups. And there were two chairs in the front of the room, one for the role of the questioner and one for the role of the campus group representative or spokesperson. Now, anyone could tag in to replace either person at any time. Questioners tried to stump their friends in the spokesperson chair. What do you believe about Jesus? Is this a cult? If you can't give me a clear answer, I know this is a cult. Why do you get together? What's your goal? For their part, the people in the representative chair did pretty well, smiling and answering as non-defensively as they could. And sometimes they'd respond with, well, that's a good question. What do you think? Many of the pretend spokespeople tried to give objective and right answers. And they had some good ones. We believe in keeping faith with justice, equity, and compassion. And some of the representatives would say, I can't answer for everybody in the group, but I can tell you what I think. Before playing the game, we had prepared by filling in the blanks for the sentence, I used to believe blank, but now I believe blank. For instance, I used to believe that people go to heaven when they die. Now I believe that when I die, the matter and energy that make me who I am will be released and reabsorbed by the forces that create and uphold life. So when I say we don't stand, we move, the first thing I think is this linear motion from A to B. Maybe something about the time it took to get there. To tell the whole story of motion, it's not enough to say, I don't believe in such and such. That only tells you point A. Telling the rest of the story, though, isn't always easy. Describing point B can be emotionally difficult. Leaving point A may have been painful. And how can I commit to finding a point B that I might have to leave again? So describing point B requires some focus and some creativity. Rosemary Kenichi was one of my professors at Star King School where I, learned, I earned my Master's of Divinity degree. And she told us that people come to a time when they realize that the faith or the tradition or the core assumptions that we have inherited are inadequate for what we're facing. And she called this religious impasse. And I don't think she meant that everyone changes religious affiliation when they're hitting a rough spot. I think that she meant that we have to change how we relate to our source of meaning. 
Another of my professors, Rebecca Parker, writes what she learned from Professor Kenichi about running into religious impasse. At such moments, we have three choices. We can hold on to our religious beliefs and deny our experience. We can hold our experience and walk away from our religious tradition. Or we can become theologians. Parker and Chinichi both recommend becoming theologians. Now you can be a theologian and stay in the tradition that you were raised in, or find a new one, or hang out for a while in a liminal space until you figure out which community is going to hold you and challenge you in a congruent, life-affirming way. Theology is broader than theism. It means the study of the ways that we find meaning and purpose and ethical discernment and connection. Religious impasse happens to people who were raised with no formal religious tradition. It happens to lifelong humanists. All of us have beliefs. Beliefs can be challenged by personal experience, no matter who we are or where we've come from. Right? We, we say that we, we rest our ethics on the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Anybody ever been challenged in their stance that there is inherent worth and dignity in every person? Right? So we have to be creative. We have to figure out how we relate to that meaning. So this is what our communities must do. We must equip each other and encourage each other to become theologians. And if we can do that for each other, we will be able to describe where we move. In a community that organizes around practical ethics rather than shared belief, it may seem strange to lift this up. Yet we declare that we have faith in human goodness, and we regularly see a message that where people meet to seek the, high, seek the highest is holy ground. To be congruent and authentic, it is worth exploring what we mean by those statements. Even if your beliefs have nothing to do with speculative concerns like the afterlife or a higher power, every person has beliefs about, for instance, the relative worth of other people or how we should relate to the planet or about the desirability of democracy or human rights. Our beliefs motivate our actions. So if we care about the morality of our actions, it's worthwhile to examine our beliefs. If we refuse to allow space to discuss beliefs, we're forcing people to be silent about things that matter. We can have discussions without assuming shared beliefs about speculative concerns. In fact, failing to have those discussions will likely lead to making false assumptions and to unspoken creedal tests about whose humanism counts. So I'm curious about where we move collectively as well as individually. We are inspired by the words and deeds of people who came before us in ethical culture, in, in humanism, in Unitarian Universalism, in philosophy, in movements for justice and compassion. People who drew maps for their generation and for ours. Sometimes we follow those maps and sometimes we move off the edge. So how do we map out our shared hopes for this and future generations, giving new edges for future generations to move off from? Where we move isn't just about us as individuals or even as this group 
It's also about welcoming others who are moving toward their own point B. When we create room for movement, when we open our circle for discovery, that is what creates acceptance. Bold space, the space to try things out and fail and learn and do better, is how we can hold on to both, to all three, a sense of belonging, the right of conscience, and the journey toward bringing out the best, all together in a dynamic system, right? Can you see the tension between those, the feeling of belonging and the right of conscience? We don't achieve community with sameness, with enforcing a flat plane of common ground. We strengthen community when we make space for movement. So how we move is part of the story, just as much as where we move. Physicists study at least five or six kinds of motion. Abby's going to check me on this, I bet. Harmonic motion, like a swinging pendulum, and reciprocation, rotary motion, Brownian motion, circular motion, linear motion, like point A to point B that I was just talking about. So there's lots of different kinds of motion. In case you missed my demonstration earlier about inertia and centrifugal force, I'm going to back up. I know there are folks that fast forward when they're watching the recording later. So let me just review. Let's say I've got a rock on the end of a string. And if I swing it in a circle, inertia keeps the rock moving in whatever direction it's going away from the center. And the force that pulls the rock toward the center is tension on the string. And if I cut the string while the rock is going around in the circle, the rock is going to fly off in whatever direction it was pointed toward, probably injuring someone or breaking something in the process. So that's how I feel when I can't find my center. If we're in motion, acting in a dance of dynamic tension with a set of forces and influences, how do we stay connected to the center? If we're telling the story of how we move, the center and our relationship to it is part of the story. So we each have our own center, our own sense of um, quiet or stability from which we can bring out our best, right? That sense of being in the here and now where we can make choices. And as a community, we also have a center. And that one of the ways of defining that center is with the statement of purpose. So I'll read it again, even though you've heard it. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. So that's part of how we kind of define that bond, that string that ties us to, the, to our center as a community. And perhaps the visible and tangible evidence of that bond shows up in mutual support, you know, in the casseroles and the cards. Shows up in reverence and responsibility, how we treat each other, how we treat our own little corner of the planet. Shared goals and caring for the earth and cultivating love and justice are also part of that center. So the common bond is the string tying the people of Wes. To, the, to those values that we share. 
Appreciation and celebration are outward signs of those inward forces. The practices through which you enact the statement of purpose are forces that keep you connected to the center as you stay in motion. I used to live within walking distance of Lake Merritt in Oakland, California. And the lake is edged with schools and churches and parks and a walking path. At the lake, I saw geese and ducks. I met birds that were new to me, like banded coots. Occasionally, I would see a pelican or a heron just hanging out in the lake in my neighborhood. The lake was like a meeting place, a natural town square for human and non-human neighbors. Families, couples, elders, runners, weary people seeking rest, teenagers seeking new horizons, all came to the edge of the lake to sit or to walk the three-mile path around it. I would walk by the lake when I had something to think through or when I was moved to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with a partner or a friend. And the lake seemed to me to be a center of community and beauty. But what went on underneath the surface of the lake was a mystery to me. The water was reflective and unknowable, but it provided a center around which hearts revolved. The center has something to do with the interdependent relationships that transcend above and below the surface. This includes relationships with the broader community. For some people, interdependent relationships will include a contemplative path, such as their own individual mindfulness meditation, or a connection with ancestral traditions, or an artistic practice. Think about the lake, the fish, and the plants, and the microorganisms below the surface of the water absolutely had an impact on the birds and the other animals that were visible to me on my walks. And all of that life contributed to the beauty that drew people there in contemplation and conversation. The center is both tangible and intangible. We know that it's important. We can't always describe it. We move. In addition to questions about where we move and how we move, there are questions about what moves us. What are our sources of energy? By what power do we move? So getting back to physics for a minute, the definition of energy of work is force times distance. When we're on the journey, when we're shining brightly and reaching out, that takes force, right? That takes something, some kind of power. And that has to come from somewhere. UU minister and singer-songwriter Meg Barnhouse writes about this in The Stretcher and the Swan, which is one of her essays in Did I Say That Out Loud? And in that essay, she responds to the Rilke poem that we heard earlier. Barnhouse writes, I used to have two speeds, 100 miles an hour and full stop, crash. I thought that I was supposed to go and go and go at full speed until I couldn't go any longer. And then I slept. Then I'd wake up and start again. As I'm getting older, I'm adding more gears. I have slow now, some days. One of my holy books, the I Ching, talks about the wisdom of not doing. I get tired when I forget and act like I'm the source of my energy, my love, my creativity. I'm the one who sustains my friends, who gets things done, who works things out. 
The poet Rilke wrote about a swan and how awkwardly he moves on the ground. His bearing changes once he lowers himself into the water, which flows joyfully beneath him, while the swan, unmoving and marvelously calm, is pleased to be carried, each moment more fully grown, more like a king, further and further on. Barnhouse concludes, I'm experimenting with letting go, allowing wave after wave to hold me up, move me along. May I be granted the wisdom to know when to paddle my feet. Barnhouse writes of the mistake of imagining that one is the source of one's energy solely. I'm not the source of my own energy. We draw powers not of our own making when it comes to love, getting things done, working things out. Like the swan, we move gracefully when we move with the waves that lift us up. A philosophy that embraces this world and the potential for human goodness and ecological interdependence in the here and now is still a philosophy where not all energy is self-created. We do not live in a world solely of our own making. We are connected with beings and forces that are not ours to control. Right? We're part of an interdependent web. We're part of a network of reciprocal relationships. The energy that moves you may involve the inspiration of ancestors and prophets, or it may involve the momentum of stardust, forming and reforming in echoes from the birth of the universe. The inspiration that uplifts you may involve a still, small voice within. It may involve the dreams of generations to come calling you into being. There are many names for the sources of energy, meaning, and inspiration that sustain us and transform us while we are constantly in motion. So what kinds of powers support and uphold life for you? Does the shared purpose at West move you? Do you trust that purpose enough to be moved? Sometimes we need to rest, and often we need to remember that we are in this together. How you live out your purpose together as Wes will change. The faces of leadership will change. The world around you will change. There are waves upholding you through all that paddling around. Trust that there is grace in uncertainty. We do not stand at all, we move. True enough, but where do we move? How do we move? And by what power do we move? May we become theologians, creating maps for our journeys of meaning-making. May we circle around the center connected to the interdependent web in service to a shared purpose. May we empower each other for the journey as we practice reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when our online folks can write into the chat and our in-person folks can speak into the microphone about what resonated with you today. In this time between, you might prepare for community sharing by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity at West that illustrates the values that we're lifting up today. As we contemplate rest and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response. Oh, well, I learned as a child, there's two ways to see the world as it is, 
and the way it could be. Now some people say that's just not my problem. Some people do what must be done. Now they see the hole in the fabric that must be sewn. They see the way blockaded and they roll back the stone. They see the day beyond the horizon and they do what must be done. Yes, some people do, do, do what must be done. Well, they do what must be done. They see the day beyond the horizon and they do what must be done. Now, I've seen the toll taken, the tears that were shed. Tears that were I've shared. seen the journey started and the ripples spread. Ripples so people say that's just not my problem. Some people do what must be done. Now they see the hole in the fabric that must be sewn. They see the way blockaded and they roll back the stone. They see the day beyond the horizon. And they do what must be done. Yes, some people do, do, do what must be done. Well, they do what must be done. They see the day beyond the horizon. And they do what must be done. Yes, some people do, do, do what must be done. Well, they do what must be done. They see the day beyond the horizon And they do what must be done Oh, they see the day beyond the horizon And they do what must be done Oh, they see the day beyond the horizon And they do One must be done. <laughs> Very nice. That was pretty good. Yeah.